Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast, One Man, One Tree on the Hill. I'm your host, two-time wrestling champion, stand-up comedian, Jared Waters. And we would like to say rest in power to the great, epic, icon, Earl Simmons, a.k.a. DMX, a.k.a. The Dog, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I know we got sponsors of this podcast, but right now we're just going to take this moment uh, to praise the icon, DMX. Uh, I don't know him personally. I only was in passing with him one time, and I was so mad because, I think I said this, uh, my friends, they went to this place. It's this uh, open mic slash show. It's a show, but in the beginning of the show, it's like an open mic showcase called Mocha Lounge. It's great. Smokey Suarez runs it. It's a, it's a, it's a show, but he lets people get on. And uh, as I'm leaving to go downtown for a comedy show, you know, you see this weird figure or whatever, and, you know, in passing, and I was like far away. Far away, but I just didn't know. You know, I had to go and stuff like that. And everybody's like, yo, that was DMX that got out of that car. What? Because you see somebody in the car. I got to stop saying da da da. That's the New York stuff. And uh, it was DMX. But Earl Simmons, ladies and gentlemen, is is the epitome of a man chasing chasing God. You know, what if it is inflicted wounds and stuff like that? It's sad seeing him go. We're going to be dropping some quotes by DMX before we got. We got a lot of emails and stuff like that. Read a little bit of his biography. Earl Simmons was born December 18th, 1970. He lived for 50 years. Uh, when he was 19, he was the son of 19-year-old Arnett Simmons and 18-year-old Joe Barker. He was a second child. He was given the birth to his daughter, Benita. And as a child, he suffered greatly from asthma, uh, being taken to the, the emergency room, and he was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. But he was Christian. He converted to Christianity. Uh, he stated that he read the Bible every day. And I'm not going to read his whole bibliography. You can read it yourself. But I remember it was 2000, 2000, no, early, late, late 90s. DMX came onto the scene in football practice, everything else. And I remember, I think I told the story, I, I think I posted it, that I grew up in a religious household, very religious, right? Uh, I, was, I wouldn't say super religious, but my parents tried their best to try to mold us the way their parents molded them. Didn't, definitely didn't work. We all love ratchet music, and uh, and we all have our different ways. But we all are. We all, me and my four, my four brothers and sisters, we are all, you know, of Christian faith. But we couldn't listen to no secular music. We did, but we couldn't listen to it. So my brother had all these CDs, all these CDs, big pun CDs, everything else, and we had them. We were blasted in the car, G-Unit CDs. And I remember my dad found them. He just started snapping CDs, bow, 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 snapping CDs, and we couldn't listen to music. And then we had the DMX CD. And then I was like saying like, oh, DMX is a Christian. Like, oh, okay. And then my mom was like, yeah, I heard he's a Christian. Yeah, all right. And we play like the first part of the song when he's like, in the name of Jesus, I back. And next, you know, the next, the next, the next track was like, all these holes. And my dad was like, cut this crap off. And he took the CD. But yeah, man, DMX is just this past three years. We've just been losing so many iconic people. Right. And. And I, I want to say this respectfully. I'm not going to say people were shocked. You know, you're shocked. You know, it's, it's sad. Not, you know, Kobe Bryant's more shocking. DMX is more, you know, disheartening and sad because he talked about dealing with addiction. He talked about, you know, fighting to get his demons and everything else. He said he didn't think he would live to 24. And he made it to 50. So that quote we started out the podcast, like, I had a good life. It's like, yo, he really meant that. He had a, a really good life. 
Now we're gonna play a clip. This is uh, I thought there was a dope interview of DMX and Uncle Phil. I mean, <laughs> Doctor Phil, Uncle Phil. Um, I guess I would call it a gospel song, or certainly gospel a song and a conversation with the Lord on every album. On yes. every on Just every album, Lord, give me a sign. Right. I, I pulled some of those lyrics out. Uh, tell me what these lyrics are and it's what they mean. It says a conversation with the Lord. I really need to talk to you, Lord. It's the last time we talked, the walk has been hard. Now, I know you haven't left me, but I feel like I'm alone. I'm a big boy now, but I'm still not grown. I'm still going through it, pain and the hurt, soaking up trouble like rain in the dirt. And I know only I can stop the neck, the pain, with just a mention of my Savior's name. In the name of Jesus, devil, I rebuke you for what I go through. We're trying to make me do what I used to, but all that stops right here. As long as the Lord's in my life, I will have no fear. I will know no pain from the light to the dark. I will know no shame. Spit it right from the heart, because it's right from the start that you held me down. And ain't nothing they can tell me now. Lord, give me a sign. I can't even tell you how many times I've said that song and cried out. <sighs> Not tear, tears, but just like I ask God that all the time. All the freaking time, man. All the freaking time. You're going through bad relationships. Or like when I moved to New York and I'm just like, man, I was just. I think it's like the most, the most low I ever got was like, I was like leaving North Carolina. Wasn't. <sighs> Just like, you know, in college, like trying to figure things out, things aren't going. And I just started playing DMX. Lord, give me a sign. Show me how to read the blind. And I was just like, that song was one of my favorite songs. Lord, give me a sign. Slipping is my favorite song of all time when you're down about always getting back up. And I read this, I read this, this tweet. It was actually really cool about this girl. She met DMX. She met DMX. And she said she met him 10 years ago. And because of him, she learned how to forgive her father. Uh, her name is uh, Sheila, at Sheila. She goes, DMX is the reason I forgave my father after he passed for his years of addiction. Because I met DMX in 2017 after hearing him in the room in the hallway in the hotel. It was all divine intervention. I ran in the hallway and met him, and we spoke for about 15 minutes. We spoke about addiction. He encouraged me to forgive, his, to forgive my father because, excuse me, let me slow down. We spoke about the way he, I should forgive my father. Because he couldn't control something he couldn't have. He couldn't control that addiction. He said, yo, forgive him. I needed to hear that. Out of all the people in the world, who would have thought DMX would be the one giving me music on the songs I used to listen to because of my dad? Sometimes in the moment, you don't understand the significance of a moment until it's past. To this day, I credit DMX for helping me learn to understand forgiveness. I'm praying that he gives himself grace in this lifetime and beyond. His words have impacted and deeply reflected my life and his legacy. God used him in his words as a vessel in my lifetime and in his lifetime. Words that will outlive his earthly existence. Prayers and light to his family may rest in power that many of us found words to relate to his art. That was dope. Just heard talking. And there's so many, so many stories like DMX showing up at a barbecue and just talking to him. Uh, Chris Rock said DMX, and I hate reading celebrity stuff, but these are like the people that influenced me, DMX, the people that know him. DMX, so sad, but such an amazing artist. Last time I saw him, we talked about our kids all day. If anyone out there has a friend or family member that suffers from addiction, don't judge. Just show them love and support. Childhood trauma is real. And uh, it's like these moments. I think people are going to start talking about DMX the way they talk about Prince, how like DMX did this, DMX did this. There's one <laughs> video that I saw where this old lady's driving. And DMX is uh, walking, and this comedian told us a story. 
and he jumps off the car and goes, hey, do you all know where the gas station is or a car wash is? And he goes, uh, yeah, about 10 miles that way. Hop in the car. Let's go. So he hops in the car, and DMX is with his wife and his kids bumping DMX songs, and he's rapping in the car to everything else. And he takes them out, and then he gets them back home, and they just start chilling. And there's another thing, another article, not an article, but this testimony said, and he shows his video clip. He goes, yo, we're just sitting out in the parking lot, and DMX is going to CVS, and someone turns on his song, and he literally gave us a concert for 30 minutes. One of the easiest celebrities to approach. But yeah, man, rest rest in power. That's what we say in the black community. Rest in power. And I think, you know, I don't, you know, you don't, the Bible says that, uh, you know, I'll have mercy on whomever I have mercy for. You know, you can't control men. Those mental addictions are really effing you. But his soul was right, man. He believed in his heart. Every album, he had a conversation with God about a struggle with faith. And I think we all do it. If you're a religious belief, struggle with that righteousness and that, that balance of mixing it all through. But you can only pray that his, his soul is at peace, you know? His soul is at peace as he goes to the other side. But we're about to move on. The producer told me to read this one. This is from Swiss Beats. Uh, we got producers inside the thing. Is it read? And he, sometimes you got to read people who are close to him. Swiss Beats goes, I'm beyond devastated, but I'm so happy my brother's no longer in pain. I watched him take on everyone else's pain and make it his own. I send my love and support to his entire family. My brother, we will never forget him. Your name will ever be famous fame, F-A-M-E. Long live the DMX, the great, a.k.a. my brother for life, Earl Simmons. Dang dog. So, yeah, man. Prayers up to DMX. Uh, other news. And this, uh, a lot of emails has me like this. And uh, ye- a lot of emails were talking about Lieutenant Karen Nazario. If you're not aware, Karen Nazario is Lieutenant Carl. Probably Karen. Probably Caron. Caron, if he's Spanish. Uh, second lieutenant, what happened was he had his, uh, he got a brand new car. Brand new, he was having a car, and he's in Virginia, so he put your plates in the back of the window shield. So he has plates in the back of the window shields. Cops are pulling him over, and the cops follow him for about a mile because he doesn't want to stop in a dark area. So he goes to a gas station, which is very smart, goes to a gas station, and he wants to go to a well-lit area. And as he gets there, cops draw their guns out immediately, and you can watch the video footage yourself. F it, we'll play a clip. Yeah, we'll play. Uh, I like playing the news clip. ...and police brutality. My hands are right here. What's going on? You're the court now. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly afraid to get out. Yeah, dude, you should be. Get out. Windsor, Virginia police officer Joe Gutierrez pepper sprayed Lieutenant Nazario, even though his hands were raised and he was not resisting. Get out of the car. No, don't reach in there. My hands are out. Please. Please, look, this is really messed up. My dog is in the back. My dog is choking right now. Get out of the car. Nazario repeatedly asked the policeman why he was being assaulted. Get out of the car right now. Now. This is not how you treat a vet. Uh, I'm actively serving this country, and this is how you're going to treat me? I didn't do anything. Whoa. The policeman ordered Nazario, who was unarmed and wearing his military uniform, out of the car and knocked him to the ground. Why am I being treated like this? Why? You're not cooperating. Get on the ground. Why am I being treated like this? Nazario has sued the Windsor police for violating his constitutional rights, alleging assault and illegal detention. So pretty much, pretty much, you know, you, you know, you put your gun on somebody, of course you're going to have the type of trauma. And uh, this is the, what I found a whole lot interesting is that 
the a lot of people don't play this clip. This is a clip where the 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 young cop is talking to him and trying to justify what he's did. And sometimes they knew they effed up because they realized he's in a uniform. He clearly knows the law. And one thing the country does not play about is about our people that served, right? And the officer goes, this clip wasn't inside there. He goes, you served? Oh, I served too. But you can tell the officer was kind of pissed off that this dude was a black a black officer. You know, I don't care what they say. They can say it's not racial. But he kept asking, what rank are you? What the freak does that matter? Why do you need to know the dude's rank? Clearly, you know what time it is. You saw the bars on his shoulders, right? Watch this. Now, let's just, we're going to listen to this and play this clip of this officer trying to justify what he did to him. So, so the reason we did that is because we followed you for a mile and a half with lights and sirens on and you didn't pull over. I understand you want to get to a low-lit area, a, le- a well-lit area. I get that. But when we follow you that long, look at, look at the climate this day. And, and against everybody, against us, against y'all, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not out to hurt you, and I know you don't want to hurt me. That's not what it's about. What it's about is making sure that everybody goes home at the end of the day. So when you don't stop and you continue to proceed, our suspicions are raised. What's going on in the car? What don't he want us to see? So you pull into here, and if you were to just comply with the simple commands that we were giving you originally, it would have been done and over with. And you would have got back on your car, and you'd be gone by now. But you wouldn't get out the car. You wouldn't comply. It was... And just looking out the mirror and seeing your guns out already. That's what I was actually like, what's, what's going on? I was just... And then, and, not, and not to mention, you have just confused. Not, just, I know you weren't reaching, but not to mention, you had a gun at your right leg. You, you get our perspective, though, on the safety issue for us as well? You get that? Yeah, I, I do. I do. And, and that's why I, I put my hands out. And I was asking, what? And, he, what, and when you put your hands out, they were like this outside the window. However, I do have a job to do, okay? I just talked to my chief of police. You asked for a superior. He's off, obviously, right now. Saturday, I called him. He came out, talked. Here's how he... What I was thinking, I told him what I wanted to do. He said, that's no problem. Two ways we can handle this. We can either sit here with you until you get your eyes back where you can see, and I mean at a good distance, you're safe to drive, okay? And you're going down the road. Go do your deployment. Go continue serving my country, which I respect and I thank you for, Okay? Or we can push the issue, write you tickets for no uh, license plate displayed, and for resisting or not resisting obstruction of justice. I don't think we need to go that route because that route makes the army get involved, and I know how they are. The, uh, you don't know this. The army, he'll, he'll vouch for it because um, he's been in and he's got friends that are legal officers. I know the military is the only place. Where, okay. The military is the only place where double jeopardy exists legally because whatever we do. Them, do it then, the army can turn around and jam for the same thing. I don't want to see that happen. You're obviously a second lieutenant. You ain't been in very long. If you plan on making this a, a career or even six years or whatever, it's up to you. I don't care. There's no need getting this on your record. I don't want your record. However, it's entirely up to you. If you want to fight it and argue, I mean, and I, I don't mean that disrespectfully, okay? I mean, you have that right as a citizen. If that's what you want, we'll charge you, have you go to court, notify the command, do all that, or we can take time out of our night, which is not a problem. We're being paid to take care of people, okay? We'll sit here with you, get your eyes back. You and, uh, what's your dog's name? Smoke. Smoke? It's a badass name for a badass dog. Um, you and Smoke can get on. Now, you see what happens, right? A lot of people know that when you F with the government, right, and government officials, that they knew they were in trouble. The, 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 the officer who was very aggressive at the beginning, Gutierrez, whatever his name is, right, he knew what time it was, Right? 
And he really, what he was trying to do was trying to cover his own anus, saying, hey, I can let you go. We can all just chalk this up to a misunderstanding because I don't want to get you in trouble, right? Then you're going to try to joke with him at the end, like, oh, your dog, cool name for a dog, huh? You you understand, you're not in the army. So what happened was they try to do that, man. They know they effed up. And you try to play kiki with them and stuff like that, and it's effed up. And um, I got a lot of friends in the military, so many friends, you know. Friends I haven't spoke to in years, but really close friends. And uh, I saw this video through my boy Cam Cooper. Uh, he's in the military. And we talked about it. Like, people, like, he made a post where it, like, really touched me. He goes, a lot of people say, because I'm in the military, like, I won't go through this. And I'm like, he's freaking right. One of my biggest fears was my dad, when we came back to America, just like, the way he would talk to the military police, I'm like, Pop, you can't be talking to these regular police because they don't care what your rank is, you know? And, uh, you know, sh shout out to him, suing the pants off of these people. But just imagine if he wasn't in the military. Just imagine that. If he wasn't in the military, they would have arrested him. Uh, they definitely would have continued to beat the F out of him and stuff like that. And it's scary. And I'm talking about Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, everything else. If you're in those dark alley, those dark roads, ain't nothing safe. Because if you're in a dark area and they thought he was reaching for something, they would have shot him. Right? Dark area. Then you say you got a gun in the car like a lot of other people. They probably would have shot him. And the crazy thing is the young officer trying to say, hey, you had your hands out. So he had his hands strictly out. So uh, uh, we pray that justice is served or justice is due. And shout out to all the boys that serve, man. Shout out to all the boys that serve. And, uh, yeah, that, that freaking hit me, man, because I know so many people in the military and know they love, especially to my people that I know, I think a lot of people who grow up in this military lifestyle, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy how like pretty much, I'm trying to, let me stop messing my words. It's pretty much like uh, my uncle was saying. He goes, we served this country. They're talking about World War II or, I forgot, Vietnam. I see. He goes, we come back from Vietnam and we served a country and they were not even welcome back in our country. So, yeah, definitely shout out to those officers. Hopefully something happens to them. If he sues them, he is suing them. So hopefully he gets their jobs. He gets their, they get reprimanded, lose a rank, everything. Run it back, Turbo. Also, we're in transition to this. Also, on the police brutality, we're on a... Uh, uh, our prayers up, our rest in peace to this young man, this young man by the name of Dante Wright. Dante Wright was killed by the police, killed by the police by this woman named Kim Porter. Uh, she said it was an accident. She said that she thought she was reaching for a taser, but it was a gun. But I saw the video. She definitely had a gun in her hand the whole time. I'll read uh, what the news say. According to Chief Chief Tim Gannon, at the Brooklyn Central Police Center, officers pulled over Mr. Wright over on Sunday afternoon for a traffic violation related to expired registration tags. And they said the registration tags were expired because of COVID, you know, COVID things happening. As police tried to detain Mr. Wright, he stepped back into the car, promoting a brief struggle within officers. And, you know, he shouldn't have done that. You know, he's about to go to jail. He's trying to get back into his car. And that's when, from the body camera, uh, the woman yells out, he's got a taser. Definitely did not see that in the car. What she saw, uh, the car pulls away because she shot him. Uh, she shot him a couple times. Uh, he crashes and dies. And they left his dead body on the ground for seven hours. So uh, I know this episode is, it seems like it's a lot, a lot of bad news happening in the world. And it's not funny. But this is his mom. We're going to play a clip from his mother describing what happened. Here we go. My son was 20 years old. He got pulled over for having air fresheners in the car that I just gave him. Two weeks ago. All he did was we have air fresheners in the car and he told him to get out of the car. He got out of the car and his girlfriend said they shot him. 
A lot of times, a lot of times in these situations, some people do like crisis management, right? Where you're trying to, or you're panicking. And as you panic, you make the situation worse. You know, you can't, you're leaving a dead body on the ground for six hours. And you're in a small town. This is in Minnesota, right? It's in Minnesota. Clearly, everybody knows everybody out there. It's a big city, but it's not a great, great national big city. And sometimes it has to be common sense. Like, you just saw what happened last summer with George Floyd inside your country, and you see what's happening around police brutality, how people are rising up. So the smartest thing to do, Will, yo, maybe we shouldn't shoot somebody this time. Yo, maybe we shouldn't try, maybe I should just use a taser, or maybe I could literally uh, use other tools to de-escalate the situation. Yeah, I get that, you know, definitely, you know, seeing him reach back into the car, I definitely understand that, and I understand the heightened situation. It's three police officers. You said you thought you had a taser, and you were holding a tri- you were holding a gun. What taser and gun feels the same? I've held several tasers and held several guns. They don't feel the same at all. So now, the people are upset. The people are rioting. The people are looting. That's what happens. That's the system, right? Uh, President Joe Biden says that looting is not anything else, but I'm pretty sure all these companies are prepared and I'm pretty sure insurance does not have looting insurance and they are probably probably banking on counting their losses due to loss through COVID and stuff like that uh, because items are items you know who cares about tennis shoes or you know stores get trashed but all these stores got insurance so they'll be fine not encouraging looting or anything but it's like I just don't approve of like small businesses and stuff like that because that's hard but you know Target they're good in Target Walmart they're definitely going to cut their losses (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but still, uh, to switch the thing, you know, rest in peace, uh, you know, we're going to get more information about it. But then again, it's it's going up. It's been the last two days going up. Uh, multiple riots I'm seeing. Uh, arrest. I'm seeing people protesting, people going against the police station. New York City is going up. They've marched across the bridge. And it'll be another revolution. It'll be another revolution because now, uh, there really needs to be serious conversation about severe training. This lady said that she was, so she's been on the force for 26 years, 26 years, and she says she didn't know the difference between a taser and a gun, right? And she just retired recently. I'm just getting the news right now. It's producers are showing us that she uh, just retired. She resigns, and the chief of police resigns as well. And the reason why they resign is because they know where all the bodies are buried and no one's going to say anything to them. But think about this, what she said. I've loved every minute of being a police officer and serving this community to the best of my ability, but I believe it is in the best interest of the community that the department and my fellow officers, if I resign, immediately. Come to find out, Porter has been involved with shady dealings before when it comes to police shootings, according to the AP. She needs to be charged immediately, and I agree. Porter has experienced experience with investigations into police shootings, so this is her, you know, pretty much her dirt's being bare, or it's coming up. Porter also... Potter, excuse me, calling her Porter. 
Potter was only the first officers to respond after Brooklyn Center police fatally shot a man who allegedly tried to stab an officer with a knife in 2019. After medics arrived, she told the two officers who shot the man to get into the separate squad cars, turn off their body cameras, and not speak to each other. She also is a police union president for the department accompanied by two other officers. So pretty much she knows. She knows pretty much. And in, in, in reality, she knows what's going on. So Kim Potter, the cop killer, excuse me, the cop that killed Duante Wright, uh, has resigned from the Brooklyn Center Police, and so did the police chief, Tim Gannon. They are allowed to do so because they can keep their pension because they know all the filth in the department that is going on and they know what's about to be exposed. And these articles I'm reading is from uh, Tariq Nasheed. I really like some of his articles. And Robert Lytile from Black Sports Online. Yeah, man, we just got to play it. We got to play it by ear. We got to play it by ear. But I'm pretty sure we've, we've on this podcast, we probably said rest in peace up maybe over 15 uh, unarmed black people that have been shot around here. Uh, let's transition to other news. Joe Biden pulls out of Afghanistan in 20 years. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, we went to Afghanistan in 2021. Or, excuse me, 2001. I remember I was in high school, maybe 10th grade. 10th grade, we're all watching on the news. I lived in Japan, and I was in ROTC, and there was a countdown to the Iraqi war. And I remember you know, people were cheering in the classroom and stuff like that, You know, definitely because we're from all over. But when I moved to the Netherlands, I met these Canadians, I met these Iraqis, I met these Afghanistan people, and I started talking to these kids, and they enlightened me about what's going on, about how many family members were killed because of this stuff, and you know how Al-Qaeda was in Pakistan, and then we went to war with Afghanistan, then we went to war with Iraq, just a lot, man, 20 years being inside a war, think about how many people lost their lives because of this war. But, uh, I'm looking forward to see what happens. I'm looking forward to see how people move on. Uh, I know there's a lot of beautiful women in Afghanistan because the military people, we used to call them war babies, when the military people would go out there and they would meet all these these girls and you go to Afghanistan, all these army dudes would tell me stories about me and these black and uh, Afghani women with brown eyes and curly hair and stuff like that. I'm like, what type of, they're like, man, <laughs> I forgot what, who was the dude that served? Uh, my bo- uh, my boy uh, Steve. Steve, he was in Afghanistan. He said, I was over there looking looking like I was asked from Pokemon. I was looking at all these rare Pokemons I've never seen before. I said, imagine that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, to the people who lost their lives, man, rest in peace, man. But I'm glad that we're moving on. Moving on. We're going to get out of this. Johnson & Johnson recalls their vaccines. Uh <laughs> Like who wants a vaccine from Johnson and Johnson? People that make baby oil. Like who would, who would? Who, the only person who really needs to pass out a vaccine is Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson has the best medical staff. And we'll do the other two news. You guys are all emailing about this. Bianca Blair. Bianca Blair. Yes, I do. I did watch it. So what happened was I was doing this comedy show Sunday night uh, at the Grizzly Pair, and I had another show at Greenwich Village. That's the club. That's to the to the right on McDougal. So when you're walking down McDougal Street, there's a comedy cellar, cellar, cellar. It's like three comedy cellars. Uh, then after you pass that, there's a Grizzly Pear. There's Mc- Greenwich Village. And then around the corner is the Lantern, a.k.a. the Comedy Shop. So it's Sunday. It's raining really hard in New York City. And it, you, it would think, you would think it was a bad night, but like all these comics came to watch uh, wrestling, WrestleMania. And WrestleMania's in Tampa this year. And uh, it's... I used to love wrestling as like in the 90s as a kid and stuff like that. 
But I recently just, you know, when I get time, I'll get up there and watch and see what happened. But this is the first time that two black women headlined uh, one of the first nights of WrestleMania, Bianca Blair, uh, Belair, excuse me, Bianca Belair. Uh, she won. She won her the SmackDown title. And it was an amazing moment, even though we know wrestling is scripted. However, I still would always give give it up to wrestlers because wrestlers are athletes. Wrestlers put their bodies through tables and everything else every single night for entertainment. Like what inter- like even rest even football players get three months off. Wrestlers keep going. They go every year. They go year wide stuff. And this is Bianca Belair. I'm gonna play a clip of her and her husband. Here we go. Bianca Belair is the ESC. I don't know. I don't know what I feel right now. I'm ready to go out there and perform and have fun, but I just wanna just do good. That's that's my mindset right now. I wanna do good. I wanna show all these people who Bianca Belair is, who the EST is, what I can do in that ring. And I just wanna showcase myself tonight. So good. I was her and her husband. I didn't even know her husband could sing like that. But shout out to her, man. That's dope, man. That's dope. She holds the title. And wrestling has changed so much. Wrestling has went from be like, uh, well, maybe it's always a nerdy thing. But for me, wrestling, I remember all, everybody was into wrestling until we got to like high school because you know, girls started coming up. But I remember wrestling every Monday nights, wrestling Raw, WCW, coming to middle school, fighting in the bathroom, everything else. Then as I got older, it like shifted into like nerdy stuff. Like everyone's into wrestling, but it was just like weird people into wrestling. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like a community. I just realized I was nerdy. And now when you go to wrestling matches, like me and my lady went, and it's uh, it's really geared towards women now. Like a lot of female wrestling fans are there, and that's dope. Like the women's division is uh, a very uh, packed out division, so that's amazing. So congratulations, shout out to the WWE changing things out. Also, <laughs> also they signed to the Peacock Network. So if you have WWE Network, uh, they pretty much the Peacock Network has acquired it, and they wiped out all the racist stuff. Vince McMahon saying the N word, all this uh, homo, they wiped all that stuff. So definitely, if you're looking for old WCW WWF stuff, it's gone. They done wiped it off. We get out of here. This is the last email, and it's cool. I ran into uh, this this uh, how do I say this? I don't know if they're a couple or whatever. Uh, this couple, we're, I met them at a comedy show Monday, but they said they they came to the comedy show because they listened to the podcast. So shout out to them. We're up to like you know five thousand five thousand listens. A lot of people listen for different different things. So sometimes most of the people are like spread throughout, but we got people in. New York City, and they came to a show that we premiered, promoted, and the show was good. I met them. That was amazing. Uh, just since New York City is open, like the clubs, we can talk about stand-up for a minute before we get out of here. It's good. Uh, I'm past at a few clubs in New York City, uh, and now the clubs are working, me, which is good. So the weekends are really good to do clubs and stuff, but I, I still do the outdoor shows. Last Monday, I did this thing called Team Cheesy, which is Yumi. This is my friend Yumi's show. And I definitely didn't read the directions because I thought her show was, her show on Thursdays at a specific spot. And I just thought, of, but I had to go all the way to Brooklyn and I was in Manhattan. So I was definitely super late. Tuesday night, I was at, uh, I did Greenwich Village, which was good, which is a really good show. And, oh, that's why I said it. 
So Wednesday. Wednesday is Astoria Park. Oh, that's where I remember. Astoria Park is where I met this that couple. Because they go, hey, we listen to your podcast. He said, come to Astoria Park. We came to Astoria Park. That's my show. It's me and Matthew's show. And uh, I'm telling Matthew, like, look, man, I feel like it's going to be a good reason. A lot of the, the weather's warm. People are in the park. We can bark. We can get people. He goes, sure, no problem. Matthew's got a new job. He's working as a busboy or a waiter or waitress in the city so he could do more time and do some more stand-up in the city. So he couldn't because all the restaurants are open, so he couldn't go. So I was like, all right. We got a new producer. His name is Matthew Benjamin. Matthew Benjamin, uh, good uh, stand-up comic, Jewish dude. And uh, he kicked it. I was like, hey, man, are you down to help? He goes, sure. We get to the park. We start barking. Uh, this big group, uh, they shared our post. They shared it. And we had 100 people in that park. That park was packed out. 100 people in the park. And as more people come, as I know, with standard outdoor comedy, indoor comedy is good, but outdoor comedy is a skill to perform. Say your voice loud, but remember, you're in a park, so you have to have like a PG-13-ish. You can curse a little bit, but remember, you know, Move around. Don't stand in one specific spot. You know, try to get people's attention. Try to be engaging fast. We had eight comics. We did it. Everyone had seven minutes. Seven minutes turned out to be 65, 60 to 72 minute show, which is pretty good. Right? We had a really good time. Uh, this comic that my boy Matthew booked, Young Comedian. Young Comedian. And I always take the time to talk to a young comedian because I know what it's like. You know, when you get in some rooms, sometimes you have to listen. Like if I go to some very, very hood rooms, uh, the comic, the host will tell me, hey, this table over here, they talking a little loud. Hey, just remember, if you don't bother them, you can probably get it going. But this, this person's loud and obnoxious. Like, all right, good. So this guy's doing a set, and he's doing his time, but he's not connecting. He's doing very just, just, just the jokes aren't hitting with, because there's a lot of women in the park. And you can't do, like, vulgar, you know, just a civil rights joke with, like, the punchline isn't good. And he lost the crowd, lost the crowd completely. And being a comic that I am, I just acknowledged the moment. So I was like, hey, give it up for that comedian, ladies and gentlemen. This was our Make-A-Wish Foundation part of the show. Uh, we partnered with Make-A-Wish Foundation, and <laughs> that's his first time ever doing stand-up. And everyone was like, oh, my God. The crowd's right, 100 people start clapping. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> which is funny, which is, you know, a roast. And I guess he, it hurt his feelings because he's like, and I told him afterwards, like, hey, man, you know, I was just telling him just advice. I was like, when you're doing big crowds like this, bring your A material. Bring your A material. Try to stay off your phone because when you show unpreparedness, you know, the crowd thinks you're unpaired. So he got into the feelings, got emotional, and waited till 2 o'clock in the morning to write me this this text and goes, hey, man, I appreciate the spot. Uh, <laughs> but but the it's the first time doing a stand-up thing, giving me the S word for looking at my phone once. Then commented about bringing a material when I didn't even lay the biggest bomb of the show. I just felt like it was a big slap in the face when we've only had friendly interactions previously. I don't know if I'm reading this wrong. Uh, you were trying to be constructive, but I'm really curious what would all that came from. Left your show thinking I royally pissed you off or something. And I don't want anybody to feel like that, you know? Good kid. I'm just telling him, like, always bring it. Like, my boy Matthew, he has tough skin because I'm tough on him, you know? Like, if you're not a player in this comedy scene, you have to outwork everyone. And if you're prepared to outwork everyone, you got to take your stripes and you can't be sensitive. So I respond back, first and foremost, sir, as a stand-up comedian, we should have a layer of thick skin, peers included. Every comic bombs and has taken an L on stage. And as a host, I have to reset the room and address what we all felt. And that was what I did. 
I would encourage you to go to other rooms in the city and go see Smokey Suarez, Jamie Roberts, Kareem Greens, Freddie Sheffield, other comics that are pillars in the city that put time in the swamp. And if you think I was bad, man, I've been seeing Smokey Suarez, Kareem Green, and if you bombed in front of them, they would roast the piss out of you, boy. And I did it like slightly, you know, just a little thing. He goes, checking your phone and say shows a sign of being unprepared because your set was rocky and you wouldn't do that at a bigger club. And a lot of comics do that. They check their phones and we tell them all the time, yo, don't pull out your phone. It's not an open mic. Go to an open mic if you want to pull out your phone. This is a real show. So do real material. That's what we say. Uh, we've all been there before. There's nothing wrong with bomb. However, the crowd doing, doing this specific type of joke in front of a whole bunch of women is not a problem, but if you're free to express it, however you might like. But I said, read the room. Bring your A material. When there is a big crowd, you have to catch their attention fast. My philosophy is in life, iron can only sharpen iron. I try to help the guys I see working hard. You didn't piss me off or upset me. Again, we've all had bad nights. Everyone bombs from time to time. I was just resetting the room as a hope. I hope you don't take this. I hope you take this as a constructive, in a constructive way and stop being a platypus. And I look forward to seeing you. And I had to say that because he's being a platypus. You know? This comedy game is tough, man. It's freaking tough. And I had comics that helped me out along the way. It's like, hey, don't do that joke. That joke's not good here. Or, hey, this is not the right time to do that joke. Don't say that. It's, com it's not even a comic. A club owner, BT, told me, hey, don't say that word. That's disgusting. You really offset the room. And you should got to read the room. And I was like, oh, you got a good point. You, you got five minutes on stage. Your five minutes shouldn't be up there offending anybody or doing everything else. And I appreciated that when I was coming up in the scene, so I try to pass that knowledge on. But, you know, sometimes they take it, sometimes they don't. I'm a very intense person. Uh, next, next thing is going on. That was Wednesday night, Thursday night. Uh, I did two shows Thursday night. So I had to do uh, Team Cheesy again, which is Thursday at Joey Bass. That show was really well. Then after that, I had to run at 7 o'clock to do a show with my dog. i producing my show right now called Thursday Night Live. And after we finished that, it was going to be a whole lot better. And then at a four, a third spot that just popped up out of nowhere at Greenwich Village, somebody dropped out. Stefan was doing a show at Broadway, and he was supposed to do it at Greenwich. And I go, Jared, are you outside? I'm like, yeah, can you go up right now? I said, F yeah, I'll go up. I do that spot, then I have to come back to my spot at the pair because uh, I have a spot right there. So that's four spots, and I closed my night and did five spots in one night, which is good. This is what, like they say in New York City when they're just like uh, – when people tell you when you move to New York, like when you go to New York, you can get up seven times a night. And I'm like, that is not accurate at all. But now I start to understand because once you're past this club, it's a whole lot easier to do that. And then Friday, Friday, I was I was so mad I had to drop the show. I went to the show, which is my friend Kate Robart's show, one of the nicest stand-up comics in New York, New York City, straight from Texas. Kate from Texas. And it was her birthday. And, uh, you know, I had to go. I needed to go up early, but... There's a lot of comedians that got more clout than me, right? More clout than me. They put, you know, their passes. It's like it's, it's just like varsity. There's varsity. There's there's different uh, tiers. You know, they got the starters. You got the second string, third string, like that, right? First stringers had to go because they had performed at the comedy cellar, so I had to go. So I'm like, hey, I really got to go. And everyone's like, I got to go too. But I was like, my spot, I really got to go to because I'm hosting it. So the comic, the producers call me, hey, Jared, are you on your way? The show's supposed to start at 8 o'clock. And I was like, freak, so I have to end that show and can't do it. And I try to give my spot to someone else. And as I get to that show, they started 15 minutes late. So I could have been got to that show. So I was upset. But they paid me way more money than that other show. So I was like, well, I got to do it. Uh, do that show. And then Saturday, Saturday was actually a really freaking sweet night. Started my night at 730 
7.30 uh, at Greenwich, and what happened was a comic forgot to show up. So they go, Jared, can you do 35 minutes? I was like, F yeah, I can do 35. So we're doing it, and this couple was just having a full fight in front of me. And I'm just like, man, I got to address this. But the crowd's being weird because they don't want, you don't want to turn on anybody's first comic. I do that one. I was good. Then after that, I went uptown to Broadway because I had a show at 8.55. But I had to do a Zoom show at 8.45, and I had to be done by 8.55 to walk in and do my spot. And as I get in 8.55, that show's running late, and it gets to 9. Like, Jerry, we got to light you now in five minutes. Then the producer goes, hey, we're sorry to light you. Come downstairs and do a show. Boom. Turns it into four spots. And after the fourth spot, I go back up to do the fifth spot in my night back at Greenwich, which is amazing. So that was my Saturday. And then Sunday, I did two spots at the pair. And that was the, the WrestleMania, what I said. And, uh, yeah, that was it. So it's been a lot of great comedy. I'm freaking busy as F. Uh, what's happening in this podcast is that next week there won't be an episode. It's not going to be an episode for two weeks uh, because I'll be jumping the broom, right? Thank you. Shout out to everybody wishing me well. Uh, jumping the broom, so I'll be in vacation. I'll be definitely in a country that nobody knows, so I'll be down in a country. And... Uh, that's that's going to be amazing. I'll be down there. And then after that, we'll start the podcast. We'll do our 100th episode. So we got a producer, a.k.a. G-Double. Uh, he's uh, crafting a 100th episode. And it's going to be like different clips and different things that we're doing about 100 episodes. And then after that, we're going to roll in with some guests that I piled up and stacked up for the next half. So the goal is to get to 200. So that's our plan. So we're going to end this podcast with a prayer. I'm definitely not going to say the prayer, but we're going to end it with the dog, a.k.a. DMX, ladies and gentlemen. So as DMX prays us out, that's how we're going to end this podcast. Then my boy GWO to the DIE is going to end us out, ladies and gentlemen. This is uh, the late, great Earl Simmons, a.k.a. DMX. Real. See, Sorry, that was my favorite song, Slipping. This is DMX's prayer. Here we go. We ended out with a prayer. Here we go. I'm just learning how to pray. Bear with me. First, I thank you for the life of everyone that's here with me. Then I thank you for the love you give me. Why? I don't know. I don't deserve it, and it hurts inside. Many a nights I cried and called your name out loud, but didn't call you when I was doing good, too proud. And still you gave me love. I wasn't used to that. Most of the people that gave me love ended up taking it back. That's something new to me. So I'm asking you for time to adjust. Let me make it there. I will be one you can trust. What I stand for, I put my life on. I do. I guess what I'm asking is, show me how to stand for you. And I will rap for you, sing for you, reach for you, preach for you, teach for you. I will love you like you love me unconditionally and I will always be prepared for whatever the mission will be give the nutrition to me and I'll properly digest it and when I give it back I will show you word well invested and whenever I go before I go let me give thanks to you Lord for my birth for every day that I've lived you gave me a love most of my life I didn't know was there I give you my life Ladies and gentlemen, this is the podcast, One Man, One Tree and a Hill. Have a wonderful break. Wherever you are in the world, we'll be back in two weeks. Peace and many blessings be unto you.
Hey, you're live on the podcast, One Man, One Tree in the Hill. Say what up to the people. This is when I see black excellence, man. It's Dave Chappelle, Michael Che, Lauren Michaels, Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy, all sitting at the table. I said, yo, Eddie, Mr. Murphy, I, said, I just want to say, man, you're the GOAT, man. And you're the coldest nigga that ever walked the face of the earth. You got to break that thing over. She wants it private, but y'all not even together right now. So we haven't spoken about anything but the cat for at two least months. two months. And then I said, and I said, uh-uh, and I'll be the next Jamar Neighbors. Yeah. And she was up like, I know that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the podcast. My name is Jerry Waters, and I'll catch you next time. Like, subscribe, rate the podcast. Have a wonderful night, wonderful day, whatever you're listening to. I'll see you soon.